Callan KO on Anchor. It's Thursday, the start of week three, football. Uh, my favorite team, the 49ers versus the LA Rams. And my question right off the bat is, why are these two teams on a primetime game at all this season? Because there's demographics and, and uh, there's actually uh, markets that need to be represented on the whole grand scheme of things so that they don't feel left out. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, honestly, <laughs> the NFL, I feel like they've been trying to include all of the teams on the Thursday night games. Every team gets at least one Thursday night game. But over the last few years, these Thursday night games have been the worst. So then even when there's teams that are supposed to have good games on and they schedule them on Thursday, they're whack games. So who at the beginning of the season thought Rams Niners was going to be a good game for any primetime game this year. I mean, you could put the Rams who suck with a team that's good and watch a good blowout. You could put the Rams who suck with a team that's pretty good and have a cool blowout. But why would you put two struggling teams together? This is like very first play of the game. The new quarterback of the 49ers who is not Colin Kaepernick. It's Brian Hoyer, journeyman. <laughs> uh, very first play of the game, he throws a pick that almost gets returned and goes to the hood for six. But uh, he gets the the DB gets stopped. They run it in on the first play, and the Niners are being the Niners. Just saying, and this hurts. I got nice jerseys though. Yeah, the, the black with the red is pretty fresh. No, I'm talking about the mustard. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. Why you notice on the Thursday night games that they they have the teams go full solids? Like what? Why is that? Why why do they think that's a good look? I can understand. Like normally you would go right dark jersey, uh, white bottoms or light bottoms or dark bottoms, vice versa. But they have them go full on onesie. They got that. Uh, I I believe they got that because Oregon was getting very good positive uh, reactions from their solids. And you know how Nike uh, sponsors the jerseys, uh, uniforms for um, the NFL now. And they have all these new intricate designs and detailed patterns and stuff. So they want to showcase their that's – that's a Nike thing. That's for sponsorship. All right. But so what happens then when you have – and it's not just Oregon, but so you have all of these different teams doing this. What happens when you have um, a team that is all blue and people are colorblind? Yeah, like what look like, at his face. You know, it, <laughs> look at his face. How do you? Is he on your team? Like if you got you got the Panthers versus the Cowboys playing, and they're both wearing different shades of blue, and people can't see blue. Then how the hell are they supposed to enjoy that game? And not, I'm not colorblind. I don't know. I'm. You're kind of like the Doogie Hauser of the group. I thought you would maybe have actually have an answer. Okay, get that run. I guess if you're on defense, get the guy with the ball, <laughs> and if you're not. Don't get the guy with I'm the ball, about but it the doesn't matter. Watching at home. Oh, if you're colorblind. Yeah. Oh well, that should be least of your worries. And if you can't see the color on somebody, <laughs> who's your team? <laughs> Which way are they going? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're watching this Thursday night game. We've got a, a good episode. I hope you think it's a good episode. We're talking to Sean Shepard, the homie from Game Changers. Uh, one of Kasim's boys, he can give you more information on that when we get to it. Uh, we're not just going to be talking football because I have a feeling this might be one of the worst football games of the season. So we will be talking about other stuff. No, I don't think so. I think any game that the New York Giants are involved with is the worst game of the season. 
Which I know you have a comment about Yo, that. Yo, yeah, you weren't there on Monday because you were busy, couldn't work. Um, and and I made a comment. I think that Eli Manning is the most overrated champion that will go down in NFL history. And he's going to have two rings. He's going to have the numbers to say that he's really good. But watching him year to year, he's he's the he's the he's the lucky recipient of a team with good defense and getting hot at the right moment going into the playoffs to go against the Patriots and beat them twice. But he's like hot year, two cold years, hot quarter, cold quarter, two off seasons and then one good year where he's he's fired. Like he's not consistent, but he's going to have numbers that are better than Joe Montana. Do you really think Eli Manning is Joe Montana when it comes to stats? Like, quality of play. His numbers will be better, but come on, man. Like, he's overrated. There are, there are other quarterbacks that have... Um, there are other quarterbacks with less skill, but we knew what we were getting out of those quarterbacks. Like Trent Dilfer, Brad Johnson. We knew what we were getting out of them. This guy was drafted number one overall. He's got the good last name. He's going to go down, looked at like that, but he ain't that. He ain't that. He's the most overrated champ, and... I have to have to give him credit for winning one too. But he's 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 Phillips better. I would one hundred percent agree with that, and I'm glad that San Diego didn't get him, and that I was able to work with uh, Philip Rivers for the, the amount of time I did. Um, I believe that uh, Eli Manning was the product of a great receiving core. He was always blessed with great talented receivers, which is very fortunate. I also believe that he had a great line. When he was there, when he was successful, so you know that linemen they come and they go, free agency happens. He's hot one year because the team is intact. Then free agency happens, people get paid, people leave, they go. Then now he's not hot. So that is a sign of being overrated because you're getting all the benefits of being good, but you're not good, and it's showing when you're losing key players that are not you. You're still there, so you should still be doing good. And also, I, I believe what you said about the defense. He had a great defense, which kept him in a lot of games. Which you know, when it was all said and done. The people that are here currently see him and they view him a certain way, which you have a valid point. He's overrated. People in the future, are he's going to get in the Hall of Fame, and people are going to say, oh, well, he's great, just as great as Joe Montana. But they don't know because they didn't see the actual day-to-day games that right. he played. you got to use the eye test. The numbers are going to say that he's a better quarterback, but it's a different league. They're all passing. There's not as much running as there used to be. So he's going to sling it a lot. He is the most overrated. I mean, he's... I mean, when have, when have the Giants ever been like, hey, yo, yo, Eli, except for in the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, the te- like, when it's up to him to carry the team and be that guy, he does, he's not that guy. He, you know he's crazy? not that guy. He's, he's the game manager that everybody, like, harps on Alex Smith for being, except he's the bad game manager. He's Jekyll and Hyde. At least, like, I, I got a question. Was Phil Simms the, the quarterback that led the team when they were successful? Was that Again, was that the defense? Because I don't think the Giants, the Giants have ever had a storied quarterback that has been the p- person to put the Good team point. on their shoulders and, and win the championships. I guess that's their pedigree, though. Yeah. Steelers. Great I defense. mean, Bradshaw was a bad boy. They have some Hall of Fame offensive players, but their pedigree is defense. Yeah. So, no, I get Phil Simms had Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks and them boys running. and yeah, Pepper yeah. Johnson. Pepper Johnson. <laughs> Pepper, look at you pulling some old names out. And then they had a tight end, so they were running the ball and they were throwing to the tight end. I don't yeah. really remember. I don't remember any of their really any of their receivers, but Phil Sims, he only threw like one incompletion in in the Super Bowl that they won. Yeah. So I mean, he he balled. Your dog is like hella comfortable next to me right now. Um, that's not even Carlos Hyde. No, not in there on third down. 
Um, His hands are questionable. She's not in there on third downs like that. Hey, did you see that Derek Carr video? No. Derek Carr, quarterback on the Raiders, made a commercial for a credit union up in the Bay. And it's, but he does like a music video and he's got on like a whole jean outfit with like shingles on the arms. Like you can tell, you can tell he's making it ain't to be taken serious, but it's, it's hilarious. It is? Yeah. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I dig it. I mean, you, it's almost like, it's like Dion must be the money, but you know, Dion was like really trying to like really be about that. He was really going to be a rapper. I can say, I can say this though, on average, there's a lot of. There's, there's a lot of good commercials involving quarterbacks. Peyton's are funny. But Tom Brady's commercials suck. He, he's got like yeah, a, a mattress commercial. I, I, I was going to take that back. Tom Brady's, Tom Brady's commercials probably are the worst. Garbage. He's the stiffest, crappiest, no personality, stiff. Like what the hell is that commercial where he goes, like, he walks through the, 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 the bank or whatever, like some top security place, and then goes down some secret elevator and sees a mattress, not even a pillow. No blankets, you know, like nothing, no headboard, and you're like, no, that will be all. Like, come on, man. Terry Bradshaw has good commercials. Joe Names had good commercials. Drew Brees had good commercials. Joe Montana. Joe Montana's good commercials. Yep. Peyton's good. You said one. Sketcher ones kind of uh, date him. It's okay. Show these old, but but Howie Long has them too. Yeah. At least he's, Howie Long's is in the elevator. At least Joe Montana still throws the Terry ball. Terry Bradshaw has shingles. <laughs> He got real with it. (laughs) Okay, Niners. Kasim Osgood for the Kyle Kale Show. Calling Nate Burleson, NFL standout wide receiver. What's going on, Nate? I'm good, man. How you doing? We're doing pretty good, man. I'm I'm trying to be like you, man. I'm trying to get a radio show going. Trying to talk about uh, football, even though I don't know anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, man. You know about some football, okay? I know a little about, about, about the football. Um, yeah, first topic of discussion, okay, I don't want to take up too much of your time, because I know you're a very busy man, you know, you got NFL in the morning. So, um, first off, we, we just saw um, earlier today about the, the letter that the NFL players wrote to the league um, regarding community uh, outreach, community service, and getting active in the community. Uh, there's been a lot of things going on lately in, in the, uh, the newspaper and the headlines about law enforcement, uh, interacting with the community, uh, interacting with NFL players, and um, we just want to get your take on that, um, how you feel about the NFL um, and their interaction with uh, the community and the players. Well, one, let me commend you on the work you've been doing, uh, not just when you play, but also now being removed from the game. You're very uh, active in the community, and I can appreciate that as a guy that's part of this fraternity as we call the NFL, but also as a former teammate of yours. But, uh, you know, I feel like that the NFL is finally uh, coming around to embracing every single player and not just the players, but the individual aspects that make up these guys. You know, for so long in the league, it's been shut up, play football. And it hasn't necessarily been the NFL promoting that, but it's been the pressure from the fans that basically it's make everyone want to stay out of what the real issues were in society. Um, It's 2017, though, and this isn't the day and age of the mid-90s where Charles Barkley said, I'm not a role model. Um, You know, in a day and age where the faces in the NFL, the faces in the NBA, Major League Baseball, Hockey, um, even Olympic track with Usain Bolt, these athletes are the figures, and they move the needle 
And they don't just move the needle when it comes to headlines, but they also move minds and move emotions of the masses. So I can appreciate the NFL, you know, finally kind of figuring out a way to not just stand behind players when they make noise, but stand next to them and, and help their voices echo even louder. Uh, because if we can't work, you know, in unison, I'm talking about player and league, yeah. and go deep into the community, then we're not going to have much change. As much as we love politics, as much as we love politicians, as much as we love celebrities, athletes, they can move people, man. And, and that's why sports is so special, because no matter what's going on in the country, your favorite athlete can really change the temperature of what's going on. I agree with you. Uh, you've always been a very outspoken uh, individual, you know, on and off the field. And um, you've been on a, a TV show with the NFL Network that definitely uh, has gotten a lot of ratings because of the personalities you brought to the table. Do you feel that Colin Kaepernick has the proper personality to launch that kind of movement that he's trying to do? You know, I feel like he has the proper personality from where, for where he's at right now. I feel like there's uh, people within his circle that aren't allowing him to speak for himself. You know, you hear so many people talking for him, talking about him, talking yeah. about what he wants to do, but you don't hear him speaking. Listen, I, I'm behind the movement. You yeah. know, I, I was talking earlier today on Facebook Live, and, you know, this question a guy asked me, he said, when are the babies going to move out the way and let's play football again? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? Did you miss tight? What are you talking about, babies? He said, oh, the babies that are kneeling for the national anthem so of course this is someone speaking on the protesting of the national anthem and basically what i said is you know it's funny how you know donald trump could say let's make america great again but colin kaepernick can say the same thing um and we're all ready to you know ban him from our lives so you know i say all that to say this you know once he made a stand and spoke about what he wanted to do he was saying I want to make America great again. I want to make America a better place. I want to raise the standards for law enforcement, for interaction from people in civilians to law enforcement. And he was speaking out. Right now, I don't hear him speaking out as much. So personality, yes. Does he has a name? Does he have the name? Yes. Does he have the type of, um, I guess, brand to play football and be an activist? One hundred percent. But to answer your question, a long way. I'm not sure if he has the voice. And I don't know whose voice he has right now because I don't hear him speaking enough. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, what up, Nate? This is Cal, man. Nice to meet you over the phone. Um, yeah. What's up? What's going on, man? Yeah. We were talking about this earlier, and that was kind of what I was saying is that at this point, everybody's speaking either for him or they're speaking um, for him on the other uh, side, about meaning it's right. about him saying what his protest meant, even though he's said that that's not what it meant. Um, and I kept saying that, yeah, he's got to he's got to be doing as much talking as he is doing because he really is out there putting in the work in the community yeah. Yeah. and and people want to forget all about that. Um, so I, I just wanted to commit. Yeah, I agree with you when it comes to that. And then going back to what you were saying, as far as the NFL kind of getting on board with um, the players wanting to be more involved in the community. Do you feel that? This is really the NFL getting on board, or is they are are they kind of have their arms behind their back with this one, and they they're seeing what the NFL is doing, getting behind their players and so on and so forth, and they don't they, they feel like they're forced to do it. I, yeah, no, I, no, I, I don't feel like they're, they're forced to do it. I don't feel like their arms are tied behind their backs, so they feel like they have to do it. 
I, I just feel like the NFL is really taking a step back and they're analyzing what's going on in our society and they're realizing that you know the machine can make decisions and by the machine I mean I mean the league I mean the, I like to call them the men and women in the suits um, but it's the pieces it's the screws it's the nails it's the inner workings within the machine and all those pieces are the guys in the jerseys so there's the guys in the suits and the guys in the jerseys and as well as stepping back and saying all right the guys in the suits can make decisions but the guys in the suits are in the streets the guys in the jerseys are the ones in the streets and their voices are the loudest so if their voices are the loudest loudest and they're the ones in the streets we need to support them because if we don't then there will be a disconnect and I, i believe that's the last thing the nfl wants is a disconnect between the men in the suits and the men in the jerseys because that's when leagues fall apart that's when you know the 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 greed for attention and decision making becomes bigger than what we really all want and that's one to make a ton of money in this game and impacting people's lives and if we can do that all the while listening to society then we'll be fine and, and that's what the league is doing they're listening to the men in the jerseys and also listening to the streets and the, the the streets are talking civilians are talking society is talking these issues are talking everything is more prevalent than ever people were asking me you know what did you do during the national anthem and i said well i played 11 years and i stood every time and i gave the ultimate respect mike tice was my first coach with the minnesota vikings he said put your heels on the white you look ahead hold the helmet and you, you give the military and people that you love to serve the military the people of this country in the military the ultimate respect and i always remembered that and i did that and then somebody said, well, what would you do if you still were playing? I said, well, I don't know. I, I might be kneeling uh, or standing next to Cap or um, different individuals in solidarity because it's different now. It's 2017. So, you know, and KO, you know, this we came out the same year. It, it, 2003 is a lot different than 2017. Even though the underbelly of society, the disconnect between races and financial uh, backgrounds, um, it, maybe it was the same. But in the recent election and people choosing sides and some of the protests and counter-protests that have happened over the last year, the really gross nature of the United States has come to light. So in 2017, they broke and 30-year-old might be thinking differently than a 20-year-old. And I might be taking any knowing I'm going to get backlash, but more importantly, I'm going to get a conversation after that. And ultimately, like that's what we're doing. That's what the league is doing. They're listening to the conversation and they're moving accordingly. That's what's up. Talking to Nate Burleson here. Nate Burleson, the uh, broadcaster live on NFL AM, uh, former NFL standout. Um, he had more yards than me coming out in college. You know that, Cal? Um, you put up more numbers, though. It was something crazy where, like, we was competing, but not really, though, because your numbers were crazier. It's like certain category. I just knew I wasn't messing with you, man. <laughs> it was you. It was you and your boy JL Tyler. I was like, "What is them dudes doing down there, man?" It was wide receiver like, university, man. Oh, we had no running back at the time. We just it was just straight throwing the ball every down, swinging it, man. I remember that. Like KO, and you know we don't get a chance to uh, talk about ourselves or pat ourselves on the back. And now we sound like old dudes on the porch talking about you stupid. I'll say this: in a day and age where these young fellas is coming out of college playing damn near 20 games and a bowl game and an extra game and a new game and a preseason game and they putting up these crazy numbers yeah like we was doing that in a regular amount of games with not the biggest stage and and it wasn't even like now everybody's doing the running gun this was like we were still kind of new to the scene and like our draft that year 
Now we had some dudes that put up major numbers in college. Yeah, that's why I went free agent, man, because everybody was putting up numbers, man. I was at a small little school called San Diego State. Like, what is that at, man? Nobody knows that school. That's probably D1 AA. <laughs> So I had to announce this before we let you go. I don't want to hold you too long. Um, Nate Burleson was probably the most flyest dressed person in the locker room. Would you would you agree? Would you agree that we were in the Detroit Lions locker room? This man come in with a new suit every day. I, I, I try I try to step my game up, man. I heard Michael Jordan say once. Hey, listen, I don't know Mike Jordan, but he said, you know, when you dress up and go on a trip for anything that you do and for us it was football you approach it like a business trip and then secondly when these people see you when you walk in the hotel you make sure that you dress a way that they can remember you forever if you walk in with baggy sweats and the hoodie on they'll still know you as a person but they'll remember you for what you're wearing that's just how we are as people like think about it like the first impressions that people make on you and i thought oh man that's crazy that's powerful and then i got in the league and i remember one time um i was getting off the plane after a game and i think i had like a decent game i'm starting to feel myself like it was that it was that like sophomore season in the league moment where i was drinking my own kool-aid and matt burke who was our center was like, man, because I had had my shirt untucked and my tie undone. And I thought it was like a fly look. I thought it was like, oh, this is what like businessmen do when they come home from a trip. I didn't know. But I looked sloppy though. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, man, you look like a half made bed. Half made bed. And he was like, he was like, if you invited somebody over to your house, a woman over to your house, would you walk her in the room if you had a half made bed? And I was like, no. He's like, well, then why would you walk around looking like that? And I was like, oh, snap. And I kind of was in my feelings for a second, like, you don't know me, homie. But then I was like, you know what? This is an OG talking. Go ahead and listen. So yeah. ever since then, I kind of put those two things together. I try to dress up, man. You know, you know, you know how we do KO, man. Oh, three, three, I got. I said, if you want to come with me, KO, I'll tell you this, bro. Like, I didn't get to play with you until later in my career, and it was one of the funnest times on and off the field because you was an absolute dog. And you used to joke about how you couldn't catch, but you could catch. And then you would go out there and dominate. I've never seen nobody, like, play at the level you play every day. And it kind of, it helped me raise my game up because I was the dude with the energy and talking about and barking and having fun. And you came in and, like, you had more energy than me. So it was like iron sharpening iron, man. I appreciate those. I actually miss those days a lot. Detroit, some good times on and off the field. You know, that that might be a different story, a different conversation for NFL AM, PM, after dark. Yeah, after dark. (laughs) Right, right. We can can always edit that for another time. Yeah. I, I knew I was good, man. He gave me some places. I was like, man, this is kind of sketch. Nate's like, nah, it's cool. It's just like this on the outside. Where do you get inside? You're right. I remember trust you, man. I'm going to trust you. <laughs> All right, man. We'll let, we'll let you go, man. I know you got to get dinner, get to the family. Tell your wife and kids, yeah, say hello. Man. I will do. I, I appreciate do. you, man. Thank you. You hit me up anytime you want me to call in, bro. Yeah, we're going to fly out to New York, man. We're going to be on the show, NFL AM Live. We want to be on there. Let me know. I got you. I'm aware. I'm aware. Nate Burleson signature. We're going to do it. Everyone I play with, man, got the, 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 the green lights coming to show. Yeah. That's dope. <laughs> All right, All man. Bro. All right. They got no cops in the whole town of Bunker Hill. Yo, that's crazy. Where's the bank at? <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. No, we're, no, yeah. we can't, we can't say that. But man, that's crazy for a whole police department to resign. I mean, it's a small town in Indiana. It only looked like they had ten cops in the picture. 
So imagine this. San Diego PD goes on strike and they just quit. The whole force just quits. It'd be like the purge out here. Man, that border would be open so quick. Are you kidding me? If, if Customs and Border Patrol just said, you know what? We quit. You know, y'all, y'all withhold labor, uh, withhold wages, and we just fed up and tired of it. Now, what if the whole border just walked? In San Diego. Yeah, but imagine though, you, you rely on people to do their job. Yes. And if they're not being treated fairly, they can just say, you know what, I'm out of here. I quit. Yeah, they said that they were sharing one one body armor. How you got a whole police force sharing one body armor? What do y'all do when y'all do a raid? Everybody <laughs> hide behind him, you got the body armor. Well, a little town like <laughs> Bunker Hill, Indiana, it's probably like, Jed, we know you're in there. Come on out. I got a gun, I'll shoot you. Your cousin's on shift today, you really don't want to shoot him. Come on, Jed. Jed. I'm on out here, man. Let's Come just on. All, let's just all reserve Let's it. just get this handled. <laughs> let's all resolve this situation. Can we all just get along? Man. Nah, it's crazy. So the thing about it, though, is that the the, the problems that, that, are, uh, that are out there with the police force, it's not just black people being harassed by law enforcement. Just as a town where, like, I'm pretty sure there's probably no black people in the whole town. No. And they have the same type of issues. Like, you know, like, injustice is happening to the people that are supposed to be providing justice. They're being threatened with their lives being threatened. Like, that's that's messed up. I agree. It's just a systemic problem. It's, it's beyond race. That's what people need to realize, that if you want to solve this problem, you got to get past race. I don't think race is the, the factor that's going to help. Well, if we all start liking each other better, then all the problems go away. Because it's not about race. Truly isn't. I don't think so. That's my opinion. I don't know. I, 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 disagree, I disagree with that just because I think race plays a big part in most of the decisions that are made. People normally are going to empathize more and feel for somebody that they feel like they can relate to, whether it's because they look like them, act like them, things of that nature. And if they don't look and act like them, they're going to first try to think of differences, which isn't cool. Um, I'm not saying everybody's got to walk around and hold hands. But race plays a part in a lot of these things. Race plays a part in uh, most issues in the world, but that doesn't mean racism plays a part in most issues. You got to come to a Game Changers event. It's a good time to plug this charity event. Game Changers is huge because it helps dispel those myths and rumors. Like things you think that happen, they happen for a reason. Like there's policies that are in place. So they're trained to react to certain things or or pick out certain things in, in the public. So people are like, oh, you always harassing me. Well, check this out. 98% 98% of the population in a given city is African-American. And the people that are employed to be law enforcement happen to be just different colors, whatever. They're out there policing the action that happens. And most of the action that happens is 90% of the community is black. Probably going to be a lot of black people doing stuff. So, yeah, everybody looks suspicious because everybody's the same in that community. Now, I'm not saying you should profile based on race. But if you look at it this way, from this, this perspective, I, on a continued basis, every day, I deal with the same thing over and over That's- again. No, that's not. See, I got to cut you. You're smarter than that because you know about the 13th Amendment. No, but you're missing, you know, you're missing my point, what I was what, saying, though. Well, you're saying... I was what, saying that when you deal with the stimulus that's there every day, you're reacting to the stimulus. So if you feel it's race, it's your personal opinion. But I've dealt with 15 people that all look in a similar fashion to you, and their race has not anything to, do, anything to do with it. They were all guilty, and they were all serviced in that manner because of what they did not because of what they look like so I'm saying more often than not if you're in an all Mexican neighborhood oh well, you just all hate us because you want us to all get deported well no I'm in Chula Vista there's a more time many people who are out here are Mexican you know what I mean so more often than not if you just pull over 10 random cars 
maybe seven out of ten cars is going to be Hispanic. I didn't pull you over because you're Hispanic. It's just the law of averages. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they're they're not justified in profiling because they do end up profiling and they skip just to that. So then they start to rely on that one fact rather than rely on the facts that they see. I, I think so. That's a slippery slope. That's what I was saying. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's the point more so than those situations where. When, when they're in a neighborhood where it's predominantly one thing. Yeah, that makes sense, but a lot of neighborhoods aren't like where it's predominantly one thing. And in the event that the neighborhood's predominantly white, they're not rolling around with the same aggressiveness that they're rolling around in a neighborhood that's predominantly Hispanic, predominantly black. That right there is inconsistency. That's where I disagree with it to what you're saying. Race doesn't always play a part in it, but then they're not always as aggressive. They're not always showing that same intent when it's a predominantly white neighborhood that they do with the profiling and predominantly when they're in Chula Vista or when they're in Southeast. They're not rolling around like that, you know. We speak of experience, but like when you go to Little Rock, Arkansas, where there's predominantly a lot of uh, lower class, uh, lower income white people in projects and housing projects in uh, New Orleans as well, um, low income white housing projects have the same amount of crime and they profile the same way in the same areas. So that happens in that area, but it's just specific to that area and it's not something that's it's on our plate every day. So we don't see it, we don't know. But that, that profiling, it's a human condition. If you're just always used to the same stimulus, you start to pick up on that same pattern. So then you start to assume that someone's gonna fall into that pattern, which is the human condition is wrong. So they have to start training law enforcement to not fall into that trap. It's a trap that I, I say, because if you're in those communities where there are predominantly uh, lower income or primarily one race, you can't fall into the trap of assuming that because you've been to 10 visits and all 10 have been bad and they've all been black people. The 11th visit is not, you know what I'm saying? You can't use that same criteria for the first 10 to, for the 11th. Each case has to be treated individually. You know what I'm saying? You can't fall into the trap. Even though it might be more often than not, you might see one race doing something, you can't say the next one coming up, oh yeah, he's probably guilty because everybody else was. That's the trap that people fall into. Yeah. Yes, that was very well, very well put. I like that. Yeah, but that's what I learned at the game changer thing. That's what some of the cops were saying. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm Mexican myself. So how is it that I'm pulling over a guy in National City? The, the one that cops in National City is like, I'm a Mexican cop. And the guy told me, he's like, I pulled a car, a car over, and it's like, oh, you just pulled over because we're Mexican. He's like, homie, I went to high school with your brother. So how is it that I'm, I'm, I'm racist? Like I'm Mexican too. He's like, I, I live. You know, saying the same city you do. I think a lot. What I've noticing about this generation of cops, and this this part of it doesn't have anything to do with race. When it comes to this, is that a lot of them, and this is from my relative who's a cop, and I'm talking to him. They've got cops that have never been in a fight before. Yeah. They've never been in a fight. They've never had any type of conflict or confrontation, but they're cops. So, they're they're. And they're smart people, so they pass all of the tests, but they haven't been tested in their life. So, to me, that part of it is the biggest issue because now you're taking someone that doesn't know how to handle confrontation. And now you're training them to do all of this shit to keep themselves protected. But then what happens when they deal with somebody that doesn't look like them and they're not familiar? Or even if you even if you are Mexican and you are in the predominantly Mexican neighborhood, you've never been in a fight before. And you're looking at this guy as a big dude or a threatening guy because of where you're at. So how do I, I don't like it it sucks that these people haven't aren't getting tested in a way that you would 
be more sure yeah. that they're going to do yeah. a better job when they're out there in the field. And this is in the jails. This is out in the field. That guys, they're they're smart enough to pass the test, but they don't know how to handle stress situations. They're pulling out that strap for the, on the guy that doesn't look like them or the guy that's in the predominantly violent neighborhood before they're pulling out their taser, even though they're supposed to pull out that taser. So, the training. It's funny because a lot of times the... Uh Law enforcement officers are they they're out there patrolling the streets day in and day out, dealing with a lot of crazy stuff. A lot of these cops have never used their uh, firearm, so in using your firearm, it's it's psychologically it's very heavy on you if you have to use your your you know deadly force. Like it's just anybody killing somebody is just, it's very hard on you as a human. So a lot of times, some of these officers, like you were saying, do the training. Some of these law enforcement officers are coming from rural areas, and then they're in another city. And now they want to be a cop, and so like. Say this cop is from Nebraska, and he grew up in Nebraska his whole life, went to college in Nebraska, went to the um, uh, Army, got out of the Army, then he stationed in San Diego. Now you want to be a cop in, in SDPD. You're dealing with a lot of cultures that you don't know nothing about. So all your myths and rumors are coming from stuff that you've seen on the media or from yep. TV or from friends. So you're reacting with a, a, a crazy uh, Mexican guy, and you don't speak Spanish, and you're a white dude from the middle of the country. Dealing with some Mexican dude that's kind of irate, but he maybe has some mental issues or something, but he's not really a, a huge threat to you. You take that as like, man, this, this guy's trying to end my life. You use deadly force when you didn't have to because you felt threatened because it was something new to you. So like, you know, new things scare people. And that's the yes. thing about it is that people are getting put in situations where they've never had any kind of experience whatsoever. So I think before uh, a law enforcement should ever get a gun and be on patrol, you should at least spend two or three months in the field learning the, the background of people that you're going to be policing. That's a great idea. You know what I mean? Great make, it, make it personal to you. Make it more like, you know, hey, you doing? I'm a recruit officer Swanson, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a recruit going into the police department. I'm just coming to meet you guys, and I'm, I'm going to be policing this area, so I just want to get my face familiar. I'll be around this area. Make the human element more positive and then more interactive on that personal level. So then people can't say, oh, it's because a racist, racist white cop. Well, man, this dude just came from Nebraska. He's out of the military. He don't know anybody, so he's coming here. You know he's what I mean? Not like, familiar. Yeah, he's not familiar. He's not familiar. Going back to the conversation we have with Ralph at, at that school that he works at, it's just people aren't familiar, and they're either going to be they're going to take that unfamiliarity, that curiousness, and they're going to be fearful of that curiousness. Yeah. Or they're going to express it and and try to learn something. Yeah. But no, yeah, I agree with that. In a perfect world, which the world's not perfect, but ideally you would want cops that are familiar with the neighborhood to work in those neighborhoods. If you you want people that are Chula Vista born and raised to work for Chula, the Chula Vista PD, Southeast, San Diego, wherever. Little Rock, Arkansas, you go throughout the country. But what my relative was also telling me is that they've got more people retiring and quitting than they have people coming in and applying. So you're not getting as many people coming in and we know off of numbers there ain't yeah. too many brothers and his uh and latinos that are applying as much as white people on the force just off of numbers yeah. just so you're gonna have that situation where you've got the guy from little rock arkansas coming out here and working in san diego or going to dade county gotta go hit up duval and know what the hell you getting yourself into that's the crazy part about it down there in miami that's a melting pot there's so many languages down there it's, it's crazy yeah Are right, you guys are tuning into the Cal and KO shows? Uh, Kasim Osgood, Calvin Reed. We got Sean Shepard right now from Game Changers on the line, and we were talking law enforcement and policies and myths and rumors that are out there that a lot of people are misinformed about. 
police procedure. And uh, Sean Shepard has a program called Game Changers where we actually bridge the gap between uh, the false reality and reality of, uh, of the situation in every city. And he's doing an amazing job of pioneering a, a format that allows for the rumors to be dispelled or, or put out there and uh, the truth comes out. Uh, Sean, what is the, the major, the number one reason why there's a problem between law enforcement and the community? Uh, well, thanks, thanks for having me on, Kasim. I appreciate it. The, the number one problem that the community and law enforcement agree upon is, is poor communication. Either there's no communication at all or what's being said or how it's being said is the main problem between community and law enforcement. The number two problem is where there's a fork in the road. Uh, community believes the number two problem to be trust and law enforcement believes the number two problem to be compliance. And as I've shared with you, it, you don't have to be a genius to figure out if, if I don't trust you, it's going to be very difficult for me to blindly uh, conform or consent to what you're telling me to do. So uh, that's, that's where we have plenty of work to do um, on both sides. What do you think is the major benefit of uh, Game Changers and how you see that impacting uh, uh, police policy? I think the, the, the major benefit is that we have people from all walks of life representing the community and we don't just have various agencies of law enforcement that represent local, state, and federal law enforcement. We're also including judges and members of the legislative branch. When you have everybody at the table uh, represented with a voice, not only sharing what they believe problems to be, but we're all working on solutions together, it's very, very hard to ignore a solution that you help create. And so it has to just, it can't just remain between members of the community like, like yourself and myself in law enforcement. There are other necessary entities that need to be at the table in order for these solutions to be implemented. And so that's where having elected officials and members of the judicial system at the table as well is, is critical to any long-term permanent change that, that we want to see done in San Diego and around the country. Yeah, uh, we were talking earlier, me and Calvin were talking earlier about um, profiling and uh, the demographics of the areas that police are, are policing. And I said that, you know, a lot of times people use race as the, the reason why a cop pulls them over. And I was telling Calvin that it's not just that the race is, is playing into a, a effect. It's the fact that they've seen this same pattern over and over again. So they start to get used to the pattern. So if the demographic is what demographic what it is, I think it's the pattern that they see more so than the race that uh, influences how they uh, continue on with their, their policy or the procedure. Well, let's, let's be clear about this. Um, you know, we've, we've all come to the conclusion that the, the type of officer that racially profiles, that's about 2 to 5% of any law enforcement agency. You have people in law enforcement that should should find a different career path and, and that, that's true of any profession two to five percent uh, you know i'm about to step into a hotel there's two to five percent of the employees at this hotel that need to find another job so, <laughs> so, so there, there's there's a difference between criminal profiling and racial profiling and you know we've, we've learned that throughout the course of 
this eight month journey that we've been on and criminal profiling I get and that's when, when you, you refer to patterns you know if, if, no matter who you are if you're, if you're a 22 year old and 2 o'clock in the morning you're in a neighborhood on a bicycle with a backpack and a police officer sees you he's going to pull you over regardless of what you look like and, and that's criminal profiling and I get that it's the racial profiling that is something that we can't have. It's something that needs to be eliminated altogether. And, and it's not going to be eliminated until we get rid of the 2 to 5% that don't need to be um, practicing law enforcement. And, and, and that's, that's difficult. That's very, very difficult to do. But there needs to be a distinguished... We need to distinguish between criminal profiling, which is acceptable... And racial profiling, which is unacceptable. I, w- I was going to ask um, if getting rid of that two to five percent was difficult, but you answered that. So I'll, my my question is, why why is that so difficult to to find that two to five percent or get rid of them? I'm curious. The system, brother. Uh, you know the way things are set up when it comes to unions and workers' rights and and things of that nature. Uh, you, you know, I, I, I think that if there were more unity between and among lay members of the community and we had a better working relationship with law enforcement, elected officials, uh, I think that there would be less of a problem. You know, that 2 to 5% might be 1%. Do you, but as it, as it stands right now, we're a long ways off from being able to to simply move an, an officer who has committed some a, a, a host of egregious acts, or maybe not so egregious acts, where that they need to find another another profession. Do you feel a certain uh, responsibility to when you have a bad apple in in the bunch? to speak up do you feel like they're giving law enforcement a bad name you know the the feedback that we've received from from officers and from different agencies is exactly what you just said uh, 90, 98 to 95% of the officers that do their jobs with with honor and and honor the badge and, and live up to their oath they don't want those officers on the force either and they made it very clear that it is not easy to get rid of officers that, for example, show up to scenes and escalate as opposed to de-escalate because they're not necessarily committing any crimes. They're just not making the situation any easier or they're exacerbating the problem instead of solving the problem. So um, that's where it gets difficult where, you know, you can have an officer written up for you know, category two offenses, which are which are minor. You know, for example, you know, an officer pulls you over and uses profanity or refers to you in a derogatory way. That's not breaking the law, right? Um, that's escalating a problem and causing more problems for the police department. And again, that's not illegal. So, how do you really get rid of someone who's really not doing anything? Yeah, that, technically or, or legally wrong. I so, see that. That's kind of like a write-up. You know, that's uh, bad customer service in a sense. But now, um, I'm sorry. I just want to wrap up. I'm like, but I'm I'm thinking more of the situations now. For someone like you spoke about earlier, where someone in the community may not have trust. 
for law enforcement. Um, I think when it comes to getting those bad apples out, um, there seems to, in certain situations, be um, a discrepancy from what actually happened in in the incident versus what's put in the report. And is there is is that blue code or sticking to protecting your own, which is you know a big myth out there? How how real is that? Of course, you want to look out for your someone that is a partner or a colleague of yours. But if if you're seeing that someone is doing wrong, how how how, how strict do they have to stick to that code? If you feel me. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point. Um, of course, there's a there's a blue wall of silence in, in a number of departments around the country. But you know, one thing that the media does not cover is when officers are being let go, and and the officers that we've talked with, and it's been well over 100 law enforcement uh, members, is that officers are being let go all the time for for inappropriate behavior that just doesn't make CNN it, it's it's the officer that wasn't let go that should have been let go that did something egregious that, that makes CNN so uh, you know based on the feedback that, that we've received that there really isn't much leeway being given necessarily in, in this police department uh, uh, let's keep in mind that the San Diego Police Department and law enforcement here in general in San Diego, comparatively speaking, I want to I want to I want to make sure I add that, comparatively speaking, do a fantastic job compared to what's being done around the country. Is there room for improvement? Yes, there's always room for improvement. But uh, I've been assured by a number of, of officers that I've known for a long time, if, if you screw up and you're caught. Uh, you're you're gone here in in, in, in San Diego, um, and that makes me feel good to know because everyone should be held accountable for their actions, whether they're good actions or bad actions. So um, there's a lot more to be done. Um, there's a lot more time to be spent, but but officers here in San Diego County, uh, by and large, if, if if they commit some egregious acts, they're they're off the force. It's good to know. Sean Shepard here with uh, Game Changers. Uh, I'm a game changer. I'm going yes, to get Calvin to be a game changer. Um, I'll try to get in where I fit in. I'm with it. Definitely. We're, uh, when we post this, we're going to post a link to the uh, Game Changer website uh, to get everybody involved because it is a good cause and it's something that everybody should be a part of because if you're part of the community, then you're part of this Game Changer event. So we need to get you guys on board and uh, get it going. Sean, thank you, for your, thank you for your time today. Appreciate the conversation, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. GameChanger1.org. GameChanger, the number one.org. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, sir. It's Cal and KO Show on Anchor. Um, we're talking baby onesies right now because this game is just not the business. Well, they're wearing onesies right now, too. Oh, yo, uh, Deaners said that the Rams look like bumblebees. And that's <laughs> all I've been thinking about ever since she said it. It's, that's, pretty, that's pretty funny. All right, did you hear about what Kevin Durant did? I heard he tweeted something that was bad about his old team. He's tweeting from a burner tweet account. <laughs> like, this dude has... Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Rewind that. So see, what had happened was, is he's been, he's been tweeting from fake accounts <laughs> that he makes, right? <laughs> Just to talk trash? Just to talk trash. <laughs> so... 
Burner. Did you hear about this? Burner Kevin Durant would. <laughs> Burner Kevin Durant from the Burner account would tweet to real Kevin Durant and be like, I agree that you should have left OKC because you didn't have a good coach and all it, all it was was you and Russ. So what real Kevin Durant would do was retweet the tweet from the Burner account. So it was a way for it's him like, to... Like, like tweet laundering. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He, had, he got to speak his mind through the fake account without being criticized for saying what he really wanted to say as Kevin Durant. So did somebody come out from uh, behind the scenes that works for uh, Twitter that said the IPO is the same? I think he got caught up retweeting something from the wrong account. Like he, because like, he he didn't just have one fake account. He had more than that. Oh wow! Like so. so there's levels to this. There's le- Be humble. There's levels to this shit right there. My goodness, you are a former NFL standout. Twelve years in the game, Pro Bowler. I know you're a little older than these guys that feel like they need to put their whole life on all of this stuff. But could you ever, could you ever see yourself making a fake social media account, getting a, a a burner cell phone just to clap back at people that feel the need to get Twitter fingers? I, I wouldn't get a burner account to talk trash about football or my job or anything involved in my job. I'd have a burner account to talk trash to other people that talk trash about football or basketball or whatever the people's job is. So I'd be a fake fan dissing other fake fans that are talking trash. Okay. So I wouldn't have it necessary to, to put my point of view up there and act like it's, it's somebody else's but it's really mine. I wouldn't go that far. I would just say what I want to say anyway. I've done it before in the past. You've seen some of my interviews where I, I've stated my case. So right. I'm not scared of that. But what I would do was to avoid the perception that I'm a jerk, which, you know, every time, time I am a jerk. But I would be able to react with these fans that sometimes they say something after a game they don't know what they're talking about and you know it's like if you told them in person they're gonna come see me they're gonna come see you so you gotta like kinda figure out a way to get to them and you have your friend say it for you but it's ingenious to have a fake account for that but not for what he did so I start thinking like talk trash about your old team you make how much money a year just tell them. Tell them. I'm rich. I got a hundred million dollars. I will backhand you I'm, when I I'm see rich. You. I'm NBA Finals MVP. Like, what do you? What? Why am I worried about you? Yeah. But that, yo, like this generation, like he really felt like with all that he's got, he needed to sit here wow. and make fake accounts to express himself. How many other people do you think are doing this? He can't be the only one. He can't be the only one. He can't he, be the only one. He's not the. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't. Did he's he graduate? He's just an idiot and got caught. And did, I'm a Warriors fan. Did he graduate from college? I, no, he did a one and done. He did one year at Texas and then one. So I wouldn't attribute his ability to be that creative. So <laughs> I think he learned to do that from somebody else. He learned it how to spoke from somebody else. <laughs> Twitter, man. Twitter's getting everybody in trouble, man. You see uh, Donald Trump. I don't even talk about it all the time, but Donald Trump talking about Rocket Man on Twitter. And on in the in the speech, Bro, and he then he talk about Rocket Man on Twitter. He said that shit in the U. No, no, no. But I'm saying he reiterates his stuff. Conference about other things. He yeah, talked about, yeah, he did that. The UN he conference. He went yeah. in <laughs> on the UN conference and was like, "Yo, we ain't we don't want no." I'm, I'm paraphrasing Orange Man, but <laughs> hey, we don't want no problems. But we ready to blow up Rocket Man. Rocket Man's getting reckless, and all he's doing is signing his 
Rocket Man's on a suicide mission. But the crazy stuff, though. Wow. Everybody's getting in trouble on Twitter. Colin Kaepernick's girlfriend got in trouble. Got him in trouble. Not a fake account. It's actually your girlfriend tweeting for you. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're thinking that she's expressing his views, and he gets not get the job in in uh, Baltimore because of that tweet. Donald right. Trump says a lot of things. Gets in trouble on a tweet. You know, he had to get his phone taken from him. During the campaign, because he was going wild, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. How many times have there been people with naked pictures on, on Instagram or Twitter? That you know, and people don't realize that. Like it's something that you, you're bypassing the media, and to spite you because the media is not being bypassed, they're going to take everything you say and scrutinize it to the T. So you better be on point what you say, or they're going to make you look very bad. Or just don't say dumb shit. But what what I'm saying is that you wouldn't normally say dumb stuff if you're on the air because you're that professional setting. So when you take it upon yourself to become the media, you're not a professional like they are. They know how to edit to make you look good, do if you're supposed to look good. But if you look bad, you can do that all on your own. And that's what people are doing now. There's no editing. It's just straight, I look dumb. No Whoa. filter. How many people, when, when they would come into the radio station, they were so comfortable talking off the mic because there's no pressure with that on the mic when you know you're in a professional city and they get in the studio and then they, they choke. Yeah. But these people have microphones and a platform in the in the comforts of their own home. So they're comfortable just speaking off of emotion. No, that's what if I'm saying. Into, yeah, I'm you agreeing wouldn't do with that. you. Yeah. yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Because yeah. you go into a studio with other people looking at you and you want to go say some outlandish stuff, you're going to think about real smart about how you say what you say. In your room, you can speak off of the tongue and just have diarrhea mouth, and they don't really catch. Or Twitter fingers. Again, you're in your room, and no one's confronting you. You just say it, post it. You get 50 likes, and you feel like you are winning right now. Although you got 2,000 friends, so if you look at the numbers, those percentages don't really add up. You get 50 likes and you got 2,000 friends, you got a whole lot of dislikes. There's just no dislike button. Lucky fuckers. That is true. But <laughs> see, the, the funny thing about it, the funny thing about it, when um, these people go on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, whatever, whatever social network uh, platform they're on, and they start voicing their opinions and start talking about this and that, you do that carefreely and you're not professional at it. What else are these people doing behind closed doors that they wouldn't normally do in public? That's what worries me. Because some of the people, some people that's kind of sketched, that I want to know, is that my neighbor? Because <laughs> if it is, I'm going to watch him close. I just, I just feel like people get way too comfortable. And the more comfortable you get, the less you have to think about what you say or do. And when they're in their, their comfort zone, that's what happens. I try to talk to people as if I'm talking to my boss. You go home and you talk to your spouse a certain type of way, you're comfortable. You can speak off of emotion. But if you went into your job, and even if you were right and going, hey, boss, you're a piece of shit, that's insubordination. You know what I mean? Conduct like, detrimental. So, so if you think about, like, if you think about how you approach your friend, your social media account, any, like, the neighbor, the, the person in Vons that you're crossing paths with, if you treat that person like your boss, and if I step out of line and I say the wrong word, I might lose my job. I think people would deal with people a lot differently, but they don't have to think about that. Hey, you get comfortable and you can just let the tongue go and just go, oh shit, my bad. Oh my, my bad. That's the armchair That was a fake account. You know, that <laughs> <Fake> was <laughs> Which one though? The tier three one. That's some tier three, that's some tier three information. <laughs> Got her to choke on the beef jerky. Oh. That's a win right there. 
That's a win. How, how do you how are you that rich but do something that dumb like that? You should have people tweeting for you. You should. You shouldn't have your own account. Just be everybody's Kevin Kevin Durant fan page. And then just give everybody the access code. And everybody can post whatever they want on there. A free open forum. The cool thing I, I, I'll, I'll give him credit for is now he says, you know what, I, I cared about that stuff. I was programmed to care about what people thought about me and felt about me. And now it's like, whatever. I'm a champ. I'm winning. Why do I care? But why did you have to get caught to come out and be like, oh, no, I went too far. You knew what you were doing. Like, you made a tweet to talk shit about your teammate and your coach in third person I, I don't just care what, to retweet it and be like yeah I'm gonna tell you in something first that, person that's shady I'm gonna tell you something that I learned early on in football uh, one of my coaches was a psychologist also and he said this and it, it always it always resonated with me and that's why I always had my moniker that um, I am who I am I'm not what I do and when I clock out who are you that's, that's the whole thing yeah, I, I live I by like because Everybody that plays any kind of professional sports, I don't care what it is, or if you're an actor, or any type of personality, you are in constant need of acknowledgement and gratification and justification for what you're doing. That's the whole point of being an entertainer. That's what you need. You thrive on that. So if people say that's not what I care about, it's about this and that, I'm an artist, even artists, you don't paint a picture unless you want somebody to give you credit for it. I agree with that. And then those people that do say, okay, I do it just for fun. Okay, well, you're still doing something for your own gratification. I, so I, these people are egotistical. Not say it in a negative way. I'm just saying that. The reason you do this is for the approval of, of your fans. So you, you, you do care about it. And just admit it and own that. But to a certain extent. That's when what he did, you got beyond that, that, that threshold of like, you're caring too much. Yeah, he went too far. I mean, that, that's just starting to shape who you, what, who you are. So what you are and what you do are different things. You do it because of this reason. But then when you go past that reason, now you're doing it because that's who you are. And that's what he did. Yeah. Preach. That's the athletic thing that I hate it because dudes just get bigger than what they really are. You're just a football player, man. At the end of the day, no one even cares, really. If you stop playing, they're going to keep watching football. People don't understand that. It blew my mind how people don't understand that. You, you, when you're off the field, you're still the football guy. And no one gives a shit. We're in Hawaii. Yeah, but we're in Hawaii. There's a lot of people on vacation over there that don't know about football. They're just there because they're from Australia or they're from Japan. And mm. they're looking at all these big-ass humans walking by. Or a guy, or Asian guy walking by. Like, what you do? You play basketball. I'm like, no, I play football. Oh, what, what is that? What football? Soccer? Like, no, man. American football. Okay, uh, football, football, football. But it was funny because... If I was beside myself, I'd have been offended that he didn't know who I am. I hate that question. You don't know who I am? Nah, man. Ray Ray from down the street? I don't know. Yeah. But it pissed me off because dudes are just, you're, you're full of yourself. You are you are your number, your jersey, who you, who you are. And then when you clock out, that's still you. So when I'm hanging with you at, you know, at a bar, we're hanging out with some fans come up, and you want a big time of fans, not like an asshole because you wouldn't clock out and take the jersey off. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, get out of yourself. Get away yeah. from that, that, that persona. And be you Because everybody likes you When you have the jersey on But are you too scared They're not going to like you When the jersey's off To know the real you Because if not Then it's all fake It's all for nothing Feel that I like that That's deep Yeah And that's true though There's, there's levels to it there are a lot, Yeah there's levels There are a lot of people that And that celebrity thing That you were saying Is that people Who do this for recognition 
and I, I agree with that. Uh, it just depends on the level of recognition they they want. I like doing. That's what, what I said. You need yeah. to become the person that you don't clock yep. out. I agree. I like doing. I like doing what I do. I love DJing. I love playing music. I love getting. I love getting my um, gratification from the crowd I'm playing for, not necessarily. Promoting myself and being like, hey, everybody, look at me. Holler at that's me. That's what I'm saying. Look yes. at me. No, no. Yeah, you're no, good. I'm saying, um, I, I, you, you've heard me play. You respect my work. That's what I'm about. I, I, I like to show up and I do my work. I don't necessarily. The, the, the work part of my work is yeah. fun. What I consider work is having to go, hey, everybody, I'm going to be playing here. Or, hey, everybody, check out this Cali KO show. That, to me, that's the work part. I don't like doing that. But this, the editing, the process of making, having an idea and creating it and making it a reality, I love that. I, you know, I, I wish I could be Daft Punk. <laughs> Roll around with just some helmets and shit and be like. Yeah, man, that's how we roll. And you I can't because nobody, yeah, <laughs> you know nobody knows helmet. who the nobody knows who the fuck I am. But you know, really, I could. You literally just painted the picture that illustrated the point I was making was yeah. that when you go too far, you're doing all of this too because of the fame you get for being this. Then that's the wrong reason to do it. You're doing it and in some form or fashion. Everybody does something for something. So when I'm saying you're performing because you want the gratitude, the gratitude comes from the acknowledgement that you do something good. So you you are a DJ, you play a good set, people are jumping, they're live, they're happy. You get the gratification from knowing that you play good music for those people right there. I did But my you're job. not a DJ because people love you for being a DJ. No. That's what I was saying. People yeah, are, absolutely right. No, yeah, I agree. That's the best way to say it, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I DJ because I love the job, not because it's like, that's going to be the way to get me famous. Which I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>